Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. It's Wednesday, February 7th, 2018. I'm still not used to saying that. This is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us this morning. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. And today, we will be visiting with Robert Rogers, a Catholic evangelist whose wife, two sons, and two daughters drowned in the Kansas flash flood and who started Mighty in the Land Ministry to speak about coping and growing in faith after this great tragedy. That portion of our show is going to be pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take any phone calls for that. But currently, we are live, so if you have something going on at your parish and you would like to talk about it, feel free to give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. We want to welcome everybody listening to us here on KEDC 88.5 FM Hearn Bryan College Station, and also our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena Waco, and also our listeners in Palestine at KINF 107.9. Thaddeus, how are you doing? Chastened, Deacon, chastened. <laughs> well, we had some technical glitches right at the, not glitches, but we had some technical slip-ups at the beginning of the show. I forgot to get the bumper music prepared right away and our our esteemed president had to set me straight in my ways i felt like the the uh, precocious prideful child thinking that he's ready to you know fly the nest and go out on his own and then he (laughs) drops to the ground and is quickly reminded immediately quite there yet immediately before that deacon mike (laughs) said you know he 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 was complimenting thaddeus on getting everything together Mm. and not needing me anymore and like Five seconds to go. I go. How's that bumper music coming? Yeah, <laughs> he's just like. <gasps> and I said, "Oh my!" It was fun. It was a lot of lot of good times. But we need. So it was. A, it was a very humbling experience. Radio is great, isn't it? Not get too far out over my skis, you know. Nothing is better than live radio because you never know what is going to happen. Look at it this way: we provided our listeners a moment of silence to reflect <laughs> on the upcoming show. That's what we were doing intentionally. intentionally, right? Right. And isn't that so important in this world we live in today? Some some moments of silence. That's true. Yes. Although normally you don't want that to happen on, on radio. radio. <laughs> right. It's one of the few areas. But how are you doing this morning, Dennis? Other than getting to rub my nose in it a little bit. Well, I'm I'm doing better now. That was fun. So, no, it was it was good. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to events of the weekend. Uh we're helping other radio apostolates get started around Texas and that's something that I've been busy involved in and um humbled uh, to continue the work of our uh good friend Doug Pearson from Guadalupe Radio in Dallas in the, that area. God rest his soul. He helped us get our station started and taught me a lot, so I'm trying to be, as I said, Doug Pearson for other people. So thanks be to God, I have the ability to to share some of that information with others to help them get started for Catholic Radio in other places in Texas. 
And I think sometimes we take for granted having Catholic radio. And we were talking just before the show about, you know, having listeners calling in to national shows uh, here from our area, talking about how important Catholic radio is in their lives. And I want to remind our listeners, if you happen to have something to share about how meaningful Catholic radio has been in your life, give us a call and let us know. It's always nice to know that uh, we're reaching people that we don't even know that we're touching and that have the opportunity to listen to something that is unique because we're not just playing music. We're not just providing political talk. We are providing an opportunity to explore our faith and grow in faith and learn about why it is that we live that way in our lives. And so if you have a, something that you would like to share with us, feel free to give us a call. Yeah. And I want to also say that, you know, maybe you've uh, just stumbled across the radio right now. Maybe you're listening to Red Sea for the first time, or maybe you've listened to it for a long time and you have, you want to find a way to to support us or keep us on the air. And I, we haven't talked about it a lot since the benefit dinner, but our Immaculata Recurring Gift Society for our monthly support, where you, you give a set amount uh, every month that we can count on automatically through our website. You can, it can come straight out of your bank account, uh, is so important to our well-being, and it's so important to the foundation that we rest on and all of our future uh, evangelization efforts rely on that. And that's what we're in the business of. We're in the business of evangelization. And we also provide a platform for our parishes to announce things that are going on in the individual parishes, uh, events, fundraisers, uh, bazaars, uh, and also conferences and talks that are coming up. And one of the things that I would be remiss in mentioning, because it's my home parish, is the spaghetti dinner coming up this weekend at St. Anthony's. St. Anthony's Altar Society is putting on their annual spaghetti dinner. And this will be Sunday, February 11th, and it's at the Monsignor Malinowski Center, which is on the corner 29th and Sims. Uh, tickets are $10 for adults, $8 for children, and we're going to start serving to-go plates at 9.30, and that'll be until 2. And the dining room serving will start at 10.30 and also run until 2. And you can get tickets from any uh, of the Altar Society members or just call the church office and or stop by. Uh, this is one of the most wonderful events that I can think of because it's our entire parish coming together to stir sauce, to make meatballs, to bake cookies. And um, so little of this is still happening. Most uh, events nowadays involve someone wanting to write a check, and this is still people getting together and sitting around and getting to know one another. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. So I Bonding, always bonding, bonding. Over, over cooking and, and making and preparing something for somebody else, right? Yes, and... Uh, 
I know there's a lot of parish, parishes that do this by making tamales, which mm-hmm. is sort of the same thing. Ours is rather unique since we have an Italian history that we do suga mm-hmm. and meatballs and spaghetti. And it's very good. Yes. Very tasty. So if you have not been before, make sure you come and uh, try it. The to-go the to-go thing, is a, that's a pretty big deal, actually, right? People oh, coming yes. and getting it, taking it home, taking a couple containers home, right? Oh, yes. Uh, we have people that wa- bring in boxes and stack in the to-go plates and carry them out. And um, it has always been a, a big event because it's the original way that spaghetti sauce is made. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of people come in because they there's no other way they're going to get that flavor. Yeah, And there's not just St. Anthony's parishioners coming either. Oh, no, we packed the place, and so you don't have to be a St. Anthony parishioners to eat our meatballs and our spaghetti. A <laughs> um, couple other things uh, coming up. Uh, don't want the men to forget about the men's conference that's coming up at St. William's Parish in Round Rock on the 17th, which is Saturday after next. Um All Catholic men from the Austin Diocese and surrounding areas are invited to the 6th Annual Catholic Men's Conference. They've invited dynamic speakers Tom Peterson, who's an award-winning corporate executive of Virtue Media and CatholicComeHome.org. They've invited Andreas uh, Midner, the author of The Pope and the CEO, and it's a book exploring leadership lessons that he learned while protecting Pope John Paul II while he was a Swiss guard. Can I make a little plug about that? Go for it. The thing I've been telling people is why I'm excited to go, because we're going to go. Red Sea is going to go and, and broadcast there for an hour or two, right, Dennis? Yeah, we'll be there during the lunchtime from 1130 to 12. So we're going to break into regular programming, and we'll get a chance to interview these these men, hopefully. But what I'm thinking of is imagine you go to the men's conference, you get to hear Andreas Vidmer speak, and you go up and talk to him afterwards and shake his hand. You're shaking the hand of someone who who touched a saint. Yes. Does who make shook you... hands with a saint, who spoke to a saint face-to-face. He, he talks about personal encounters he had with Pope John Paul II. So go avail yourself of that. I mean, it's, I'm not trying to turn this guy into a relic or something like that, but there's, there's something special about that to me. Well, and I think just the opportunity to, to listen to him talk about his experience of getting to know a saint. Yeah. As a person. Mm-hmm. And for most of us, the whole point the Catholic Church has saints is because they're intended to inspire us to be better than we are. Right. And to be able to listen to someone who had that experience of being in the presence of someone who at the time was not yet a saint, mm-hmm. but to see what is that person like? What are his characteristics? What inspired him to write this book? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that in itself is fascinating, never mind the other two dynamic speakers that they also have. Yeah, yeah. And the third speaker that they're inviting is John, uh, John Pridmore, a former gangster from London. I've heard the um, announcement. I, I love British accents. Me too, me too. <laughs> uh, but he left the world of organized crime and his life was transformed by grace. Uh, now he shares his dynamic message of how that came about. And this, again, uh, we were talking earlier about, you know, Catholic radio changing people's lives. 
And um, so often our world ignores, we look at the bad things that happen. So often we ignore how often it goes the other way, that people whose lives were headed in a totally wrong direction, and they had a moment of conversion, maybe not exactly the way St. Paul had his, but a moment of conversion. When we hear something, we meet someone, we are exposed to something that says, whoa, there's something else that I must be doing. There's some direction other than the one I'm heading in that I should be on. And their life is changed. And every opportunity we have to listen to someone whose life was changed is an opportunity to change ours. It's an opportunity to hear this is possible. And so often we get into this sense of despair that, you know, everything's going wrong. Uh, I don't know how to turn around. And sometimes listening to a positive message and hearing someone say, my life was like this, but it changed, can be an incredible inspiration for all of us. So again, I recommend uh, all the men in our diocese and beyond uh, try to attend if you can. I realize everybody's got a busy schedule. But uh, if you can, uh, tickets include refreshments, lunch, and several valuable gifts. Don't know what they are, but uh, they're gifts. Yeah. Uh, you can get a group discount if you order now. Um, I don't know if the group discount expires. I didn't note that uh, when it does, but if you check with your parish captain, every parish probably has one and find out if they're still available at a discount for $35, but the regular individual tickets are 45, and the tickets at the door are gonna be 50, if they're still available. So if you're, the best bet is go ahead and purchase them ahead of time. Um, and again, uh, if you're not sure if you, uh, there's a parish captain at your uh, parish, just call the office uh, at your parish, and they can probably tell you who to get, you need to get in touch with. And they typically take a bus down from Central Texas as well, so uh, make a couple of stops in West and then in Waco on the way over. So uh, call your parish now; you can get on on the bus ride. Yes, and that way you don't have to drive, and you get to meet other Catholic men from your community and have a conversation. And great fellowship is a very important part of all this. And and come meet us from Red Sea Catholic Radio at the table. See, there is an upside to this in addition to everything else, including the free gifts. One other thing we wanted to talk about is, um, well, I'm going to turn it over to Thaddeus because he had a couple of things that he wanted to share also. Yeah, first of all, I want to encourage everyone to come out on Thursday, February 8th at 7 p.m. on Texas A&M campus for the Veritas Lecture. It's sponsored by the Christian Faculty Network and the Catholic Faculty Staff Network. We've been coordinating with them to help uh, put on this Faith in the Workplace Week that they're doing. It's the first year they're doing that. Um, KBTX has pitched in and has done some spots on the nightly news about uh, people in the community, how they live out their faith in the workplace. This is an important event, and they've got a, a quite an excellent speaker coming in uh, Dr. Jay Bujashevsky, he's a professor of politics and ethics in the School of Government at UT Austin. He'll be speaking again Thursday, 7 p.m. in Rudder Theater. It's a free event, and it's he's going to be speaking on what do we really know about right and wrong. 
about the power, the persuasion of natural law and how natural law makes it possible for people of any religious or philosophical, well, religious background, let's say, not philosophical background because it's a, it's a philosophy itself, but gives people the grounds to determine what's right and wrong because it's, it's objective. It's dealing with what, what the nature of things reveal about their purpose and about um, how we should use them and what we should do. And this is an extremely important topic in our culture because yes. we are drifting more and more to the understanding that all moral decisions are subjective, right. that there is no such thing as an objective right or wrong. And so it is a important topic to discuss and to remind mm-hmm. us that objective truth exists. That's right. So uh, the, the two networks really would like you, if you have someone who's a, who's not a Christian or not from your your faith background to invite them to come because it's it's something that all people can and should listen to and and hear give a, and give a fair hearing to and I think he's going to make a really nice presentation so please come to that Thursday uh, this Thursday February eighth at seven p.m. in Rudder Theater it's free and open to the public and you can't beat free no no and the last thing I would be remiss in not giving just a few seconds to is that I'm a lifelong Philadelphia Eagles fan, so I'm still basking in the afterglow of that incredible Super Bowl victory. And what makes it even better is that that team, did you see the video of them kneeling down and saying the Our Father in the locker room after they won? And Jay Ajay, the running back who's from England, I mean, his powerful, the testimony he gave on the interview after the game, uh, I heard they were going around <laughs> when they were on the road for, uh, when they were up in uh, Minnesota, when they would be on the road this season, they were uh, baptizing swimming pools and things like that, you know, uh, blessing the water that they were swimming in. <laughs> so very, very much a, a very real Christian core to that, that team. So that's it, been kind of neat. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that had the Eagles played anybody other than the Patriots, it would be a difficult thing for anybody here in Cowboy Country to cheer sure. for the Eagles. I understand but I bet that. you this was the first time that all these Cowboy fans probably were cheering for the Eagles. I had some. We got together with some families, and there were some Cowboy fans there, and they were they were giving lip service to rooting for the Eagles. It was it was tough for them. But I'm sure but they I appreciate did it. it. Yeah, they I'm did sure it. they did it because you know everybody loves the underdogs. So that's true. Yes, that's true. And the Patriots have such a good football team that they have won their fair share of yeah. Super Bowls. So yeah. uh, one other thing that we need to talk about uh, before we head to our break is the seventh uh, annual Creating Hope luncheon for our uh, Catholic Charities of Central Texas. It also will be uh, on February, uh, it will be a Thursday, February 22nd, uh, 12 p.m. at St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church in College Station. Uh, this is a luncheon. They usually try to get uh, everybody back to work at a reasonable amount of time. So if you think you don't have time to go because you only have a short period of time for lunch, uh, they do a very good job of trying to get everybody back to work. Uh, but this, is, again, is for a very good cause because 
uh, Catholic Charities does so much good work in our area, and they are so necessary for when things really go wrong for somebody to have someone to reach out to for help. So if you can, please support them uh, by going to this uh, luncheon. Uh, it uh, starts at noon, and again, it's at St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church in their pack. We're going to go ahead and head to break, and on the other side, we will talk to Robert Rogers, and remember, that's pre-recorded. We won't be able to take any phone calls. So see you on the other side. Welcome back to the Red Sea Roundup. I am happy to introduce to you our guest, as promised, Mr. Robert Rogers. For those of you all that listened to us last month, we had a brief uh, introduction to him. We thought it would be worthwhile to have him back on to talk at length about his ministry and especially to talk about the story that brought this ministry about. Robert, how are you doing? I am blessed by the grace of God. Thank you, Deacon Mike and Thaddeus. You guys doing okay? Doing fine today. Thank you. Absolutely wonderful. The winter weather hasn't hit here yet, so we are great to go. And uh, would you tell us a little bit about how your ministry came to be? Because this, to me, is a fascinating story. Well, it's God's story through me, and each one of us has a story. I've been ministering by the grace of God these past 14 and a half years, and I've encountered so many people, uh, followers of Christ, and it's amazing how each of us has a story to share, and so mine's just one of many. But I do encourage people to always tell their story, because you'll never know how many others might be encouraged and blessed by it. And so my begins in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I was born and raised as the youngest of eight children. My parents were married uh, over 60 years, thanks be to God, until my father died about five years ago now, stage four lung cancer. Uh, but growing up, I studied piano as a youngster, and I was a cradle Catholic and an altar server, and we went uh, religiously, of course, to Mass and did all the things we should do. I went to a parochial grade school and an all-guys Jesuit high school, St. Xavier, and uh, I had a good skeleton of faith, but as can be common among Catholics, uh, I just wasn't living it. It wasn't passionate. It wasn't real. I was fulfilling my obligation. I was going through the motions, but I hadn't formed muscle and tissue on that skeleton of faith. That's how I like to think of it. But during my teenage years, I started just asking all these questions. God, are you there? Are you real? I just wanted more. I wanted a deeper relationship with him. And just through a series of events, and, and also a great priest in the Cincinnati area named Father Al Lauer, who's now gone to be with the Lord, but he is an enduring ministry called Presentation Ministries, continues to this day. In fact, uh, even this morning, I read the devotional, One Bread, One Body, and it goes all around the world. He had a great love for the Word of God. He just believed in the power of God's Holy Word and scriptures, reading every single day, even in addition to the daily Mass readings. And so that helped to ignite my heart on fire. Boy, I really got it then. Suddenly the Word became flesh, and so many elements of our faith, of the Mass, just came to life. And so that's what I strive to do, is to stir up that passion uh, for people to know God deeply and personally. 
because that stayed with me through all this time. And I started memorizing scripture. I started reading the Bible every single day. And as Father Larry Richards challenged me and many others, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. <laughs> no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. I shared that at St. Jerome last December during our evening of reflection together there in Waco. And I still share it wherever I go because I think it's so powerful that we begin and end every day with the Word of God, with the good news. There's enough bad news for the rest of the day, but if we start and end that way, uh, we'll be doing well by God's grace. And so I started living it as best I could. I'm still trying to be a great follower of Christ, and I have my faults. But I'm trying on balance to live a life with no regrets with God and then with one another. And through my education, first in music, and then I switched to engineering so I could someday support a family of my own. Uh, it brought me to Boston, Massachusetts as a co-op student where I was helping to design computer chips for the high-tech company. And even the weekends, I just picked up a side job playing a piano in downtown Boston at a place called Quincy Market, a little cobblestone, beautiful area, lots of tourists. I was playing a baby grand piano there, and suddenly a, a girl from Kansas, of all places, came down, just plopped down a bench next to me, and we just started talking. And her name's Melissa. And here I am, a shy, reserved introvert. I didn't date a whole lot. wasn't very comfortable around girls. But boy, the words just started flowing, and it just seemed like a divine appointment. And uh, she put a $5 bill in a tip cup, and ever since then she said, well, that's the best five bucks I ever spent. And so we quickly fell in love. I thought I'd better marry this girl, so on a romantic riverboat cruise back in Cincinnati on New Year's Eve, I popped the question. A year later on New Year's Eve, we married in Cincinnati. And I finally graduated from college. I got one degree and one job offer from California. It was during a recession, so with that one offer, we thought, well, guess we better just take it. So we packed up and moved west and started our lives together. And we'd always wanted a big family, and God blesses with children. But each one came with their challenges. And uh, our first one we named McKenna. And she was over two weeks late, took over two long days of tough labor and delivery to get here, followed by a C-section because she was 9 pounds, 11 ounces, 22 inches long and upside down. And after all that, somehow Melissa still said, it's okay, she's worth it. And yes, indeed she is. And when she was about a year old, we endured a traumatic miscarriage where Melissa nearly died. I had to rush her to the hospital, and it was an ectopic rupture. And boy, Deacon Mike and Thaddeus said, this really stretches your faith when you experience a death of any sort, whether it's loss of a child, loss of a spouse, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, uh, even the loss of a family through what I've heard called the living death of divorce. And when you face that first death in life, it can really stretch your faith to the core. And so we were just buckled to our knees and putting our arms up to heaven and say, Lord, what was that all about? And I guess it's those times where we have a choice either to turn our backs on God out of spite or turn our face to God in faith and open up our hands and say, Lord, I receive whatever you give, and Lord, I freely give whatever you take, whatever that may be. And that, that takes a lot of doing, no matter what degree or what scale it may be. But we began learning these life lessons through growing a family, as it were. And thanks to God, within about half a year, we found out we were expecting again. And after five years of California, we had kind of had enough of the West Coast. We wanted to move back to the Midwest near our family. And we bought our first home in Kansas City. And a few months later, I gave birth to our very first boy named Zachary. And uh, he was an eight-pound whopper, born completely naturally, no complications. But the next day, the doctors came and said, we believe your son has Down syndrome. And then there we were buckled to our knees again, saying, Lord, what is this all about? Because it's so challenging to raise a child with special needs who also has autism and a colostomy bag and a cleft palate. And we had to teach him sign language in multiple hospital and therapy visits. 
we learn a lot of tough lessons, but we also learn that every uh, disability can really be an opportunity to grow closer to God. And that's true of any obstacle or challenge in life. If we don't just look at the problem, but we look at the promise of God, where he says, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, I'm with you through that valley. I'm with you through the waters, whatever it might be. And he was with us through all the challenges of Zachary's life. And so then, a couple of years later, God blessed us with another son. We named Nicholas, another nine-pound baby in a C-section and a tough labor and delivery, but another miracle. And then, let's announce we're going to have our fourth baby. <laughs> we're just thrilled to have number four on the way. And we miscarried again, so another brush with death. And again, our arms are just up in the air saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? Well, we trust you, but boy, it really does hurt. And I've heard someone say, trusting God is really like acting as if he's telling the truth. I think there's a lot of truth to that simple explanation that we just had to take him at his word that he's telling the truth, that somehow he can cause everything to work together for good, no matter how difficult. And uh, we just try to follow our hearts. And oftentimes God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to us with unctions and promptings. And we just had a prompting to adopt. So we went to an innocent informational meeting there in Kansas City at an adoption agency. And with tears rolling down our cheeks, we knew this was for us. And a very long story short, 11 months later, we're on a 747 flying from San Francisco, California, all the way to Beijing, China, to adopt a little special needs orphan girl that nobody else wanted, all due to a heart defect. Well, we thought, we have a special needs boy, let's get a special needs girl. She's just perfect for our family. So I'll never forget bringing her back home and crossing that jetway and letting the rest of our children embrace this beautiful life who we named Alina, just one year old. And so there we were, this is in 2003 now, January, with uh, four children, two boys, two girls, uh, ages uh, seven, five, three, and one, I believe, at that time, and uh, and two with special needs. And so it took a lot of doing, a lot of prayers and tears and everything to get our family to that point. But just finally felt like we were gelling as a family as far as our rhythm and getting through a lot of the obstacles of Down syndrome and the adoption process and so forth. We had one of the best summers in 03 that we ever had. We just pulled out of a lot of extracurriculars. And and Melissa even wrote in a journal that, boy, I've had the best summer ever. It was just been magnificent having popsicles on the front porch and playing in the pool in the backyard on the porch and so forth. And just an inflatable pool and just simple stuff, you know. And we just did our best to make memories, just pitching a tent in the backyard and and uh, having fun as a family. Well, in Labor Day of that year, we went to Wichita, Kansas, about a three-hour drive from Kansas City. And uh, that summer was very dry, big drought across the Midwest, and we were all praying for rain. And I believe it was Hurricane Isabella, which came up from the south and sort of parked over the Midwest. And we finally got rain that weekend. Uh, and we had a marvelous time at a relative's wedding there in Wichita. And afterwards, uh, true to our form, our family loved ice cream, so we all went out for ice cream at a place called Brahms Ice Cream, which we uh, just really cherish the memories there, along with the food. And we had a marvelous time with Melissa's brother and his four children and his wife. Uh, but it was getting, it was already dark and I think close to eight o'clock or so, and we had to head back on the freeway and for the three-hour drive home. Well, Melissa wanted to drive first, and uh, the rain was just pelting down. And uh, she wanted to drive first so that I could drive the rest of it when she got tired. And unbeknownst to us, a flash flood had formed across the interstate, across the Kansas Turnpike. And keep in mind, cell phones were very primitive at this point, and we didn't have any messaging or 
alerts and that sort of thing. And we splashed into this river that had formed across the interstate. It was almost a thousand feet wide, they told me later. And within minutes, it filled our minivan with water. Our children had fallen asleep at first for about an hour drive. And then once this happened, they awoke when the water touched their toes. And it overtook our minivan and all the way up to the steering wheel. I mean, it was so unreal and so treacherous. There's no way we could get on, get out on foot because even ankle-high rushing water can knock you over. And this was treacherous. They told me later it was like a swimming pool of water rushing by every second. And so in our van, those last moments, uh, we were doing three important things looking back. Number one, we were saying the name of Jesus. You know, when you know nothing else to do, say the name of Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, save us. Jesus, save us. We're praying a scripture because we're teaching our children to memorize scripture. In Psalm 46, which said, God is my strength, God is my refuge, and ever-present help in time of trouble. We will not fear that the earth give way and the mountains fall to the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and the mountains quake, the Lord our God is with us. He is our fortress. Just trying to underscore that God is with us and that he is our refuge. And then of all things, we were just trying to sing a song to try to comfort our children and calm them in some way. Again, it was very surreal, and this all happened in a matter of minutes, but music was such an important part of our family's makeup. And uh, we sang a song called, Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. I'm so glad you came to save us. And right about then, this they told me a six- or seven-foot wall of water was crashed across the freeway, engulfing everything in its path. Hundreds of thousands of pounds of the concrete median, about 200 feet worth of the concrete median, several other vehicles, and our vehicle with it sort of a tidal wave or tsunami of sorts. And it washed us all across the Kansas Turnpike and plunged us into this deluge. And that last-ditch effort to rescue our family, I kicked out the window to try to pull us out, and the force of the water, was it was like popping a balloon. It flushed everything inside to the outside that wasn't tied down, including my wife, Melissa, our oldest daughter, McKenna, without her seatbelt up by us in the front. And suddenly I was tumbling in the water like a rag doll in a washing machine. I couldn't see. I couldn't breathe. I was drowning. I was ingesting the floodwaters. And strangely, at that uh, seemingly last minute of life, uh, I felt God's presence. I felt his peace. That song that we sing, though you pass through raging waters, in the sea you shall not drown. Know that I am with you. Be not afraid. Uh, it's true. Those who have had a near-death experience can relate. There was a peace in that horrific moment of life as if God had his hands around us and was lifting us up to heaven. Jesus said, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. No one can snatch them out of my hands. They will never perish. And it felt as though his hands were around us. But somehow my head bobbed above the surface and I was washed ashore. I don't know how. But by the grace of God, here we are. Uh, talking across the phone lines this day in 2018. I, I cannot explain this. I want to say that God is God and I am not. And I was washed up onto the shore and I was in traumatic shock and I, I threw up everything I'd ingested and I screamed and searched and yelled for my family and did everything that my legs could sustain because my legs were like jello. I could see flashing lights now back on the freeway about oh, half or three-quarters of a mile away, roughly, and I knew I had to go for help. 
And so as fast as I could, I just kept slipping on the the banks of the river there. It was now a raging river. It sounded like Niagara Falls, if you've ever been there. It was that loud. I had a scale of barbed wire fence and not the, about a 30-foot embankment. And I came to a police officer and said, my wife and four children, they're still down there. you got to find them. And they started a search and rescue and put me in an ambulance. I was there about three hours, and it was one of the longest three hours of my life, just hearing the heartbeat monitor and the other um, medical devices going off and just praying that the doors of the ambulance would swing open and they would uh, have my family smiling faces saying, Daddy, we found you. I never heard anything, no helicopter, no commotion or anything like that. And they took me to a hospital there in Emporia, Kansas. And in the middle of the night, after they x-rayed me and they treated me with some minor scrapes and bumps and so forth and bruises, they came to my hospital room, an officer and a chaplain. This was about, I don't know, two or three in the morning. And they said, uh, Robert, we found your van. And it was upside down a mile and a half from the freeway. They said three of your young children were still in their car seat and they are dead. And we need to ask you to identify their bodies. And boy, all my blood just went to my toes, Thaddeus and Deacon Mike. I just, uh, I felt numb. At first, I couldn't even cry. I just, they led me down this long hallway to the ER. I mean, that's every parent's worst nightmare. And I turned left, and they pulled back the drape, and there before me was Zachary. He's five years old, our little big guy, with Down syndrome. Nicholas, our little buddy boy, just three years old. Alina, a little sweet pea from China, still one year old. We only had her for eight short months. We never got to celebrate her birthday or Christmas or anything together. And suddenly the floodgates of my tears just burst forth, and I collapsed over each of their bodies and cried and groaned and wailed from my gut like I was going to throw up again. And I believe only by the Holy Spirit, I, I just had one hand on each of their chests, and I, I just felt compelled to raise my other hand up to heaven. I just said, Lord, into your hands I commend their spirits with tears in my eyes. Those very words of Jesus on the cross, that exemplified his lifetime of surrender. And I just knew I had to surrender them. I couldn't try to keep holding on to them like my flesh wanted to do. I wanted them back. And yet we had sung so many times that beautiful hymn, Jesus loves me, this I know, little ones to him belong. They don't belong to us. Everyone, everything we have is on loan from God, a gift from Him. In fact, it's a Christian walk. It's to surrender our lives, to follow Jesus. We have to take up our cross, deny our very selves, and follow Him. That means even deny our children, our loved ones, surrendering them to Him, that is, letting them go. And that's the hardest thing to do, is to surrender your very own flesh and blood. And a few hours later, they came to my room again and said, Robert, we found McKenna. She had apparently caught on this barbed wire fence a short distance from a minivan. And uh, I had to go identify Daddy's first little girl. She just turned eight only two weeks before. We had a great birthday party and everything. And for days, we prayed and hoped they would somehow find Melissa. And on the third day, they finally found her in this retention pond that had tripled in size from all the floodwaters. I had to identify my wife of over 11 years. And where do you run? Where do you go at a time like that? I mean, really, what holds you up? What do you say? I need a fix. I need a drink. I need a whatever. I knew I needed Jesus. Thank God I've, I've never done drugs my whole life or drunkenness or 
I've never smoked or promiscuity or that garbage. And I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God. Because this is humanly impossible. But the Bible says over and over, with God, all things are possible. And I just had a deep sense that something of this magnitude doesn't happen without God knowing about it. It didn't catch God off guard or by surprise. God, God didn't say, oops, sorry, Robert, I didn't know that was going to happen. No, God is sovereign. And he knew this before the foundations of the earth. And one little change in our plan that night of not going out to ice cream or not filling up on gas when we did, and we likely would have missed that wall of water across the Kansas Turnpike. But I had to trust God was somehow in this, even though I couldn't see any of it yet. But I ran to him, and I ran to his word in Psalm 50 that says, Trust me in your times of trouble. And he says, I'll do two things. Number one, he says, I will rescue you. And then he says, and you will give me glory. And I had to fully believe that God rescued my family that night, that they got to go to heaven. And truly, they are the most blessed because heaven is our ultimate destination. In this world, we will have troubles. But Jesus said, take heart. I've overcome the world. It doesn't make our troubles go away. We still go through them. Uh, when you have these troubles, take heart. And so I did my best to take heart and to put my feet on the floor and just try to get out of bed in the morning. Well, that's not easy when you've suffered any kind of loss of whatever magnitude. But he also said, and you will give me glory. I thought, Lord, how are you going to bring glory through this? <laughs> but as a wise man told me, out of every great test can come a great testimony. Out of your story, God can bring great glory. And that's why I began by saying, each of us has a story, and I encourage everyone to share theirs, because God can be glorified. And that's why we're here, is to bring him glory and to help build his kingdom. I hate so, to interrupt you, but uh, the thought that came to my mind is you're dealing with this great tragedy. Yeah. At what point did you become sure that God had a plan for you to move forward with this to help others? Yes. And I was right where I was leading into it, exactly. So great timing because I at first didn't know what to do. I tried to go back to engineering for a few weeks and it just felt like a shoe that no longer fit. It just wasn't a peace. And God says in the book of Isaiah, you'll go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And people just started coming to me and saying, could you share your, your witness, your testimony at our church from all different denominations, in addition to Catholic, uh, because everyone's hurting and everyone needs the hope of Christ. And I initially thought, boy, I have no idea. Well, what would I say? What would I do? I'm the shy, reserved introvert. I'm the geeky, nerdy engineer, and this is not my thing, uh, my least comfortable spot. But I guess when you face your worst fear, the fear of death, there's not much left you're afraid of. And so even being in front of people behind a microphone didn't seem nerve-wracking any longer. And so I got up, and I just started telling our family story, and I held up pictures poster boards from that we'd had at their funeral and told about each one of them, much like I am now. And lo and behold, I started seeing lives change. People saying, well, I'm going to change the way I live my life, Robert. I'm going to choose this job offer over that one because it'll allow me more time with my family. I don't want to have regrets with my family. Another family said, we're going to adopt now because of hearing your story, Robert. And all these just great, beautiful things. And the word says that you'll know them by their fruits. And so I started seeing great fruit. Uh, eternal fruit come forth and lasting fruit. And uh, John chapter 15, uh, we'll know we're his disciples by bearing much fruit. And that's what really 
gave me an indication that this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, as well, that first year after the flood, over a hundred places or people invited me to come and share. And I thought, oh, how can I say no? This is the good news of Christ. And people even said, how much do you charge? I thought, well, this has cost me everything. It's priceless, but I can't charge a thing for it. So whatever God brings is fine. And so after a year of ministering, it seemed as though this was definitely God's plan for what he wanted me to do. And I enlisted the board of directors and registered as a not-for-profit corporation, Mighty in the Land Ministry, based on Psalm 112. It says his children will be mighty in the land. And so my goal and vision is to challenge others to know God personally and to live a life of no regrets by teaching us all to uh, to live this life of no regrets in every way, starting with God and extending to each other. And so it's been 14 and a half years now since 2003, and I've been invited some 1,170 times, I think it is now, and spoken in person to over, I think, 270-some thousand people. Just a few at a time. It's usually 50 here or 100 there, usually small gatherings, and sometimes little farm towns in the middle of Iowa, Nebraska, or Texas, wherever it might be. I travel coast to coast and even several countries around the world. I minister at the United States Air Force and uh, overseas, and I've also been to Canada and Mexico. But all these have just come by word of mouth and by God just opening people's hearts to say, would you come and share a message of hope with me, with our church and community? And I just said, here I am, Lord. I come to do your will. Robert, it's Thaddeus. I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind telling the story quickly of how did you come to start an, you, you started a new family, right? You, you began again, right? Yeah, well that, God, God I brought know. great, wonderful things yeah. to you again. It's amazing because I didn't set out at all. I was content that I was married once and I found true love once and had a family. I was a father for eight years, a husband for 11 years. And I thought that was great. And so I wasn't seeking a wife. I wasn't seeking a replacement for my wife. And no one can replace another person. Uh, But God's God again, and I am not. And uh, within about three years after the flood, God had brought a beautiful woman from northeast Indiana named Inga. And I thought, how could somebody love a guy like me with a past like mine? (laughs) And uh, we had a lot of deep conversations. And she went on quite a few ministry visits and said, are you sure you really want to do this and you sure you could marry somebody like me and she said i do and i am still amazed to this day in fact we've been married about 11 and a half years and god has blessed us with four children two boys and two girls similar makeup as i had before and a lot of people say robert you're like a modern day job and certainly there's a lot of parallels because job lost everything all 10 children seven boys and three girls and then god blessed him with seven more boys and three more girls and uh, the amazing thing is my wife and I, we don't contracept, and God's kept us that four children, and he blessed us with two boys and two girls. I mean, none of this anybody could have manufactured or foreseen or planned in any way. And that's how you truly know it's God and not me. But taste and see that the Lord is good, so the joys of those who trust in him. One of the things that's a part of your ministry is music. How did you incorporate your music into your ministry and uh, how much uh, history do you have with music? 
Oh, I love music. Uh, my grandparents were professional musicians. In fact, the piano I play now is from my grandmother. It's a 1900 beautiful Steinway, and it's, it's gorgeous. And so I honor her by still practicing. I started when I was a youngster and went to the conservatory and studied jazz in high school and college. And um, it was a big part of my heavenly family, now my family now. Uh, our children memorizing scripture that I compose music to. And so music is like breathing to me. And it was such a therapeutic way of grieving. I did go to a grief counselor for three years and just took a lot of walks and composed a lot of music. It's a very cathartic a method of grieving and tool. And so I poured my heart out through the piano with words and music and melody and rhythm and so forth. And so I usually incorporate music when I share our family story, at least one or two songs or more. I love to worship God and lead songs of worship as well. Um, but I even recorded a few CDs of just peaceful piano instrumental music and then also a vocal one, uh, which are available. But uh, those are just, I pray, full of anointed music that helps usher people into the presence of Christ and also helps meet people where they're at because when you've lost a loved one, sometimes you just need a song that captures where you're, what you're going through and the emotions. And a lot of these songs on the vocal CD called Resurrection, I wrote in that first year after the flood. So I was just pouring my heart uh, into that music. Now, you have a website, uh, Mighty in the Land. Uh, what all can Mighty. we find if we visit, uh, visit your website? Uh, mightyintheland.com. Mightyintheland.com. And part of our ministry as well is also an orphanage foundation I call Mighty in the Land Foundation. Uh, which is separate from the ministry, but uh, we tithe 10% of everything that flows through this ministry into that foundation. Other people give directly. And I had a vision to sponsor being at least five orphanages worldwide and honor my five heavenly family members. And to date, we've sponsored over eight orphanages by the grace of Almighty God, and we've helped to care for orphans and special needs children in many countries, including here in the United States as well. So there's more information on the website about that if anyone's interested. But uh, it's truly the grace in the hand of God because there's no way I could do any of this on my own. I started out just knowing nothing of what I was doing, but it's it's truly God's hand and His provision, and His grace. Now I'm sure you've heard the question: How could you possibly have you know coped with that great loss in your life and moved forward, especially with your faith intact? Hmm. Right. How, how do you respond to that? I respond by challenging everybody now to fortify their faith, to live out the no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed, to make it an active, living, vibrant faith, not just something where you clock in and out every Sunday and fulfill your obligation. No, don't just be a casual Catholic or Christian, but be an actively engaged Christian, follower of Christ, because... There's no way I could have gotten through that if I didn't have an alive relationship with Jesus. I mean, if you don't know his character, how can you trust him? How can you say, Lord, I still love you. I still trust you. And that's one of the greatest acts of faith after a loss is to be able to say, nevertheless, Lord, I still believe in you. And Job did this after his loss. He said, the Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so lot as Noah built the ark one day at a time, we have an ark of our faith to build, to fortify one day at a time. 
because we don't know when the flood, when the storm might hit. And so I wouldn't be here able even to carry on a conversation with you if I didn't, if I hadn't fortified our faith ahead of time through the process of the Down syndrome and the adoption and the miscarriages and all those challenges along the way. And we all have those steps on the faith. But what do we do? How do we respond to those obstacles in life? Life is about 10% what happens to you, about 90% how we respond to what happens to us. I think God wants to take what happens to us to do something in us so he can do something through us to use it all for his glory and to bring about some greater good. If even only in the life of one person, uh, it's worth it for that one soul. One of the things uh, that I'm always confident in is that while God never gives us the struggles in our life that he uses those at times to prepare us for the times that we really need the strength to cope with something else. And, you know, talking about the loss that you had earlier in your life, earlier in your previous marriage, do you see that perhaps that was used by God to provide strength for when you really needed your faith? Mm, Indeed. Indeed, without question. Uh, Looking back, I can see the fingerprints of God all throughout my life. I truly believe that God doesn't allow anything to happen to us at first, isn't filtered through his mighty fingers, uh, and that he He could have prevented us from encountering that flash flood, certainly. And we were praying family. We prayed every day. We prayed for safe driving prayers, along with my father. For decades, he's prayed for us for safe driving. But why didn't God... I just prevent us from hitting that thing at just the right time. But we have to trust his sovereignty, and that doesn't always make sense. (laughs) But Psalm 71 says, Lord, you've allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. And so God is in the business of restoration, and it doesn't happen immediately. It's a process. But he comforts us, so then we can be a comfort to others. And that's one of the tangential facets of this ministry, is to bring comfort to others who are hurting, who need healing, who have suffered divorce or loss of a loved one or cancer, whatever it might be. Uh, And so if I could be of help to anyone, I'd be glad to travel to your church, your community, your school, and just share God's good news through a family story. Well, that's going to be the end of our interview. We've run out of time. Again, thank you very much for uh, joining us. And uh, Gene Wilhelm will be our host next week. And until then, when calculating how to serve God with your time, talent, and treasure, always round up. <laughs>